good to see you. I was uh, talking to one of my prayer partners earlier and talking about our trip to California, and he said, well, welcome back to the United States, Pastor, so uh, it's good to be back. It was great. Actually, the weather was beautiful. I think you guys probably sweated a lot more than we did. I don't know. It was only like low 80s out there. It's been hot over here, hadn't it? Uh, we did have a great trip. Thank you for your prayers. Um, parts of the convention I was very pleased with, other parts not quite as much. I'll tell you this, it was good to reconnect with friends from all over the country, and I will say that God's hand is really on this place. And uh, man, after hearing some testimony, I am glad to be at Grace. I was glad to come home to Grace. So uh, it's good to see you today. Take your Bibles and turn to uh, Genesis 3, and let me just say happy Father's Day, Grandfather's Day, whatever that is for you. It's great to uh, be blessed as a dad, and I know like Jeff, my dad's home with the Lord now, so I know this can be a bittersweet day for many of us, but God bless you men. Typically on Mother's Day, Father's Day, I do special messages, but because of the nature of this series and the fact that we've been in it since January and we're just in the middle of chapter 3... I felt inclined to keep going, okay? So that's why we're here. I also want to say um, today is June the 19th. If you are not familiar with Juneteenth, it has been a holiday for quite some time. It became a federal holiday last year. I would encourage you, uh, familiarize yourself with this very, very special and important day, okay? Know what this means. It is a federal holiday commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African Americans, Texas, um, it, from, from Texas, and there's a lo wonderful, rich history there. So know what this means, and remember this. When we think about Father's Day and our good, good father, we think about Juneteenth and freedom, the only way we can stand here, the only way we can be here and open the Word of God and sing God's praises and do what we do is because the freedom that we have been given through the Lord Jesus Christ. So you should thank God for that along with me today. We are grateful for this nation. I'm grateful for all of you who have served and continue to serve, and we should celebrate what God is doing. Uh, we are learning this proto-evangelium, this first gospel, okay? So I'm going to throw this back on the screen for you. We're going to put quite a few blanks in it today. So remember what it is. It's God talking to the serpent, saying, look, buddy, your time is coming. The Messiah's gonna come. He's gonna deal a fatal blow to your head. Yes, you're gonna bruise his heel in the process, but this is really the first gospel, proto-evangelium, in the Bible. So let's learn it, Genesis 3:15. Say it with me, and then we'll put some blanks up. You ready? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Good. Let's do it again. Here we go. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Great. All right. You guys are getting it. That's super important stuff. Now we're talking about the blame game. We've all played it. In fact, I normally say things like, if you've lived long enough. The truth is, man, from the moment we come out, we're playing the blame game. We're mad at somebody about something. We're pointing fingers about something. Feed me, change me, give me, do this. We're doing it from the moment we come out, and we continue to play it. I have played this game far too many times, and the thing with this game, there are no winners, just losers. What have we learned so far? When we sin... God comes to pursue us, right? 
We're not running after God, God's running after us. And when we sin, we often try to hide from God. That being said, are you ready? Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Let's read 8 to 13 again. The Bible says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Who were both of them? Adam and Eve, that's seven. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. So that sets the stage. They're running from God. They're hiding from God. Watch. Then they heard the sound or the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, where are you? Not because he didn't know, but he wants Adam to recognize you can't hide from me. And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. He didn't say he was afraid because he messed up and he disobeyed. He said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So God said, who told you you were naked? Have have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a tale that has been told from here to the very present. We point the finger. We blame the guy beside of us. We say, it's not my fault. Look at what's happened to me. And Lord, I pray that we're going to take some ownership today. It was beautiful in the first hour to see a full altar, an altar full of people committing to say, you know what, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I'm going to take responsibility for my life. We get one go round at this, Lord. There's no reincarnation mumbo jumbo in the Bible. We get one shot at it. So let us live this life in such a way that others see Christ high and lifted up in us and through us. And they say, I want that. I need him in my life. I need this forgiveness. I need this responsibility. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, be seated, guys. Thank you again for, uh, thank you for being here. The worship center, I forgot to mention to the other uh, group, the worship center's coming along great. Um, I'm told it may even be a little bit ahead of schedule. Things are looking excellent. Some folks have asked me about videos. We're probably not going to show any more time lapses because we want it to be a big reveal. So anyway, it's going well, I'm told, all right? So keep praying for that. So God's coming to pursue us, but we often try to hide. Now, why are we hiding? Why are we hiding from God? Is it silly to try to hide from God? Have you ever tried to hide your sin from God? Chirito is the only honest woman in the room. (laughs) Have any of you ever tried to hide your sin from God? Of course you have. Just like I have. We don't want to admit it when the hand's in the cookie jar and the light comes on. We do not want to admit, I have messed up. Look at what I have done. Adam is hiding. Eve is hiding. They are not running after God. This great separation has taken place. Guilt and shame are on them now. And and the Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, there are none who understand. There are none who seek after God. It's one of the reasons the seeker-sensitive movement in the church in North America so abysmally failed. And most pastors that were honest have come to the realization that the seeker-sensitive movement failed. What was that? 
Take off all the crosses. Take away anything that makes the church look distinct. Don't put in Christian symbolism. It could offend people. Don't talk about sin. It could offend people. Let's be sensitive to the seeker. You know what they forgot? There are no seekers. <laughs> people are running from God. And so we've got to let our yes be yes, our no be no. The good news is not nearly as good if you don't know there's bad news. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so Adam is demonstrating that he realizes, and Eve as well, they demonstrate they realize they're in a state of sin. And he makes this claim. I hid God because I was naked. Now what he was really saying is, I'm laid bare before you, and I'm ashamed of it. There's nothing to cover me, and I'm ashamed of it. And God says, well, who told you that? You had no reason to be ashamed of me yesterday because you were in the same state, but now the guilt and the shame, and so the natural response of us when we sin is to have this, I'm exposed. I don't like to be exposed. So Adam is hiding from God because he knows he knows this is a holy God, a righteous God, and God demands justice. God always works in accordance with righteousness and justice. But God had been offended, and God is infinite. People have often said, how could God send people to hell? Number one, God doesn't send them. They choose. You choose to accept him or reject him. Number two, the reason hell would be eternal is because we sin against an infinite, eternal God. When you sin against an infinite, eternal God, there is a heavy weight of that, a shame to that. And so what do we do? Well, point three in the message, when we sin, we often try to shift the blame. That's what we do. We often try to shift, there it is, the blame. Now, I'm not going to rehash everything about my smoldering sin last week, but let's just say I was busted. I came out from behind the barn. My dad asked what I was doing. I tried to lie and defer attention. Have you been smoking? No, Dad. Let me smell your breath. I'm busted. One, I don't know all that I said, but I know one thing I said. John, <laughs> my buddy John. John brought the cigarettes. John was back there. Where's John? John's on his bike, man. He's running like a scalded chicken toward home. Do you think my father said, well, okay. Well, since John brought the cigarettes, okay, since John instigated, which he probably didn't, I probably asked him to bring them. I don't remember all of that. But I know my inclination was John. John made me do it. Do you think my dad said, well, I should probably go down the road and have a word with John then? Nope. I'm sure my father probably called his father at some point that day or that night. I don't remember like the scene from A Christmas Story when the mother calls and where did he learn the dirty word? What? If you've ever heard that, I'm sure that probably happened. I don't know, man. I was in my room in recovery mode at that point. The reality is though, we all have that tendency. Yeah, okay, okay, I did it, but there's always that but. But, but he, and we try to defer and deflect, and we try to spread out the sin like mayonnaise so it doesn't look so bad on us. It's very interesting. Verse 12. Verse 12. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she's the one. She gave me of the tree. Look at all of this blame. This woman, Adam immediately tries to excuse himself by blaming the woman, implying it's really God's fault for giving her to him. 
It's the divisive effect of sin. I mean, it is setting man against his dearest companion. They're the only two human beings on the, in, the, in the world, and yet he blames her. It's all he has. People are most inclined to justify their conduct by pointing to other people or pointing to their circumstances. So what does God do? God says, okay, Eve, what have you done? And again, this question, he already knows the answer. It's not like God is somehow saying, explain it to me, I need to understand. God already knows. Adam's laid it out for him. God is omnipotent, so he's all-powerful. He is omniscient, so he is all-knowing. God is omnipresent, so he already knows he was there. But once again, the guilty party, Eve, attempts to shift blame to someone else. That snake, that old snake, he fooled me. He made me do it. I mean, she all but says, the devil made me do it. And she finally says, and I ate. Now watch this. The peace that characterized man's original relationship with the animals is shattered. See, God had set us up and said, I want you to have dominion. I want you to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the creeping things and the cattle of the field. I want you human beings to take care of these animals because you're not like them. See, this is another fallacy of Darwinian evolution that says you're just one notch up on the evolutionary rung of the ladder. It's another fallacy. No, God said, I'm setting you up distinctly, not to abuse or misuse the animal kingdom, but I'm setting you up to take control, to be in charge, to take good care. And so here we find that that relationship is shattered right there. But sin, watch this, has put alienation between God and man, between man and woman, and between the animals and mankind. This is the first hint we get in chapter 3, and you'll see it as we go through this chapter later this month, or this month, next month. You'll see how the, the whole animal relationship changes. Now the very world and the animal kingdom begins to fight back against mankind as the world begins groaning under the weight of sin. Now what's interesting in verse 12 and 13 is the structure of the, the, the sentences, the, the replies. What's so interesting to me about it, it's even more obvious in the Hebrew, but it's very obvious in the English as well. When God says these questions, when God gives these questions to Adam and Eve, the way Adam responds is very telling. The way Eve responds is very telling. So it'd be like this. Thus saith the man, the woman. The very first word out of Adam's mouth is the woman. The very first word out of Eve's mouth, thus saith the woman, the serpent. The very first thing they say is not I, we, it is them. She did it or the serpent did it. They don't want the light shining on them. So after Adam and Eve say this person or this thing, then at the very end of the statement, it's in the end in English, it's in the end in Hebrew, they finally say, well, I did eat. It's kind of like, okay, well, what's the big deal? They did it. They made me do it. He brought the cigarettes. Oh, yeah, and I did, I did happen to take a little hit off of that or whatever you call it. I don't think you say hit off a cigarette. Do you say hit? That sounds like drugs. I don't know. We were in California. Okay, so anyway. So uh, the thing is this. Adam shifts the blame not only to the woman but also to God. The woman you gave me. Like if God had not given him the woman, this would have never taken place. So sin is dividing the family. Well, of course I ate. 
that lady you gave me, I mean, listen, God, she didn't even have on a stitch of clothes. I had to listen to her, man. And so, you know, Adam's blaming the God who created him, the God who created her. What have you done? It's very interesting because in 2 Corinthians eleven three, 3, the Bible says that the woman was beguiled. That's a fascinating word. Uh, she was beguiled. She was deceived. Literally, that word means to cause to forget. It was almost as though it was like she was saying, well, I forgot what you said. I didn't remember that you said don't do this. Of course you did. You even embellished the word of God and said we can't eat it, nor can we touch it. You knew what God said. And yet the Bible says she was beguiled. You know, there's this forced, almost it seems like a forced confession, but no appearance of real contrition. Well, well, I did it. I did it. I did it, but it's not my fault. Now, folks, I believe that could be the new national motto of this country. It's not my fault. <laughs> we live in a land of entitlement and victimization, and it's very interesting to me that we're always pointing fingers. Let me see if I can illustrate it. Poker became very popular in America during the second half of the 19th century. Now, for some of you who have been Baptist your whole life, poker is a game of cards. You've substituted card games like Rook and tried to baptize them, but it's still a card game, okay? And so poker, this card game, which is a lot of fun if you like that kind of thing, players were highly suspicious of one another for cheating or for having any form of bias. Therefore, there's considerable folklore depicting gunslingers and shootouts based on accusations of dirty dealing or attempted cheating. So to avoid unfairness, the responsibility of dealing the cards changed hands during the poker session. I'm not talking about like at Harrah's with paid, you know, paid dealers. I'm talking about sort of think about the Old West. The person next in line to deal would be given a marker of some sort. And most often, particularly in the 19th century, that was a knife. Most men carried a knife. Most people had a knife on them. And most often that knife handle was made of some type of antler or buckhorn. And so the marker became known as the buck. And so when the dealer's turn was finished, you know what he would do? He would what? Pass the, pass the buck. Y'all have heard that, right? That's where it originated, to pass the buck. Well, our 33rd president, uh, Harry S. Truman, had a wonderful sign on his desk, if you can finish it. The buck, there you go. The buck stops here. That was a sign that uh, he would take responsibility. That the president has to make decisions and accept ultimate responsibility for that decision or those decisions. And Trump, uh, Trump, Truman, <laughs> some do, some don't. Truman received the sign as a gift from a prison warden who was an avid poker player. And so he kept that on his desk during his service. The buck stops here. I wish that were our motto instead of it's not my fault. It seems to me a lot of folks like to say why they can't do this or can't do that. It seems to me people like to say why they can't serve God or can't gain victory over sin, why they have to live in defeat. Rather than dealing with their issues, it's much easier to blame it on another person or another thing. People will say things like this, the devil made me do it. Christian, you cannot utter that phrase and be honest. The devil cannot make you do 
anything if you're a child of God. Now, if you're not a Christian today, you are on the devil's team. You say, no, I'm not. I just haven't chosen. Listen to me. If you've not said yes to Jesus, then by default, you have said yes to the devil. You are on his team, okay? Those are your little horns hiding under your hair. You are on his team to just... And then you could say, well, yeah, the devil made me do it. Yeah, he's your boss. He's your daddy. Who's your daddy? The devil's your daddy if you don't know Jesus. But if God is your good, good father, then the devil can't make you do it. My parents didn't raise me right. This person did this. I got so much peer pressure. You just don't understand. Well, listen, let me give you a personal example, all right? Uh, When we were married many, many years ago, we were very young, I had a problem raising my voice, yelling, I thought the way to communicate was to get louder. And Cindy's quiet. She's always been pretty quiet. She's still pretty quiet. And um, I thought if I could yell louder, maybe she'd hear me better. Um, Anybody ever tried that? Yeah, it doesn't work too good. Doesn't work so well. The louder I got, the more she shut me off. And, you know, my tendency was to think, well, it's the way I am, honey. I'm high strung. I'm type A personality. That's the way God wired me. Do you hear how I just blamed God? Do you hear what I just did? I just, I just pulled an atom. Some of y'all are pulling atoms a lot. That's the way God wired me. I had to come to realize that the gospel teaches that God can rewire you. God can change your wiring. God can, and for me, it helped to do a couple of things. Number one, to get right with the Lord. And by getting right with the Lord, I was getting into his word and letting his word get into me, realizing things like this. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. The Bible teaches all over the book of Proverbs and the book of James the power of the tongue, the importance of listening better and talking less, of being still, being quiet. I literally began to think like this, that my voice box had a dial on it. And when I went to 8, 9, 10, it was very ineffective. So what I had to, and I still to this day sometimes think about this, I have to turn it down. And Cindy will tell you, I mean, God is my witness, but my wife is here. I will get loud sometimes, but very, very infrequently relative to the man I used to be. Yes, very infrequently. She yells a lot now, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. She never yells. The reality is, though, I had to come to realize that even if I made the excuses, I'm this type of personality, and that's the way I am, and that's just how God made me. No, no. You've heard to err is human. It seems to blame it on someone else is more human. <laughs> it's a weird time in which we live. You see, we, we never say, well, I need to stop gossiping. We need to say, oh, no, no, no. I, I just need to tell you what I heard. It's never about the lie we told. It's just I couldn't trust that person with the truth. We never talk about living up to our real calling in Christ. It's just the way I am, preacher. It's just the way I am. It's just my boss. It's just my finances. It's just my kids. It's just my this. It's my tendency. It's in my family. It's my genetics. It's my fill in the blank. In our sin whether by commission or omission. Y'all understand those terms, things we do or things we don't do that we ought to do. By commission or omission, we frequently point to the other party, or I've used a fancy word in this point, milieu. Look at that word. In our sin, whether by commission or omission, whether we do it or we don't, we frequently point to the other party. Milieu is a fancy way of saying our environment, our setting, what surrounds us, okay? What 
surrounds us. It would be like a fish blaming the water. Well, I can't keep swimming. The water's to this or the water's to that. I fear that that's what we're doing in our culture right now. We dabble in sin or we dive all in, but it's never really our fault. We fail, up to, fail to live up to God's standards, but it's not my failure. We pass the buck. And it's like I said at the beginning of the mini-series last week, nobody had to teach us how to do this. We were born in Adam. Adam and Eve are our parents. This is why, this is why prejudice and bigotry is such foolishness. There's so many reasons why, because we're all made in the image of God, but this is why things like the horrible slave trade that, that Juneteenth is, is, is really about and the freedom, that's why it's so atrocious. Because when we sin in that way, we're not just sinning against men and women, we're sinning against God first, right? We're sinning against a holy God because Adam and Eve are our parents. And you say, no, 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 you forgot about Noah. Okay, then go back to Noah and Mrs. Noah and his sons and daughters-in-law, those eight folks. So they're our parents, but who were their parents? You go back far enough and it's Adam and Eve. And my point is this, we cannot pass the buck by saying it's just the way I am or it's just my culture. Sometimes we use that excuse even on the other extreme to be quiet about things. Some of you aren't yellers, you're withdrawers. See, when something's wrong, you sulk. You decide not to talk to anybody. You stick out your lower lip. I got a good one to stick out. I'm going to tell y'all. You stick it out and you put a hurt look on your face and you go around and say, I'll show them. I just won't call them. I won't talk to them. I won't text them. I'll ghost them. I think that's what that means for however long. You sit around and hope somebody will notice that you're mad. When you finally do break your silence, they say, well, why did you act that way? Why didn't you just tell me? Why didn't you speak up? You say, because that's just the way I am. It's just the way God made me. Do you see what you're doing? You're playing this Adam game. You're blame shifting. In other words, don't blame me, blame God. God gave me this personality. You're just gonna have to accept me the way I am. Listen to me. God accepts you the way you are, but God loves you enough not to leave you that way. Just as I am without one plea, but that thou blood was shed for me and that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Yes, you come just as you are. But God doesn't say you're going to leave the same way. God says, I'm going to rework you. I'm going to put you through a metamorphosis. I'm going to transform you. Well, how long does that take? Oh, the rest of your life. Salvation is immediate, but sanctification is going to take the rest of your life. Have y'all ever heard somebody say, that's just the way I am? Have you ever said it? That's just the way I am? Some of y'all are looking super holy today. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. Y'all know I can see you in here, right? Has anybody ever said, that's just the way I am? That's just the way I am. That's, has anybody ever said, God made me that way? You've said that. Okay, I know y'all a bunch of dirty, rotten, heathen sinners. Okay, it's all right. We're all in it together. That's the way I am. That's the way God made me. Do you know that's been the hearkening cry of the LGBTQ plus community? Hello? But that's the way I am. Well, listen, I'm not arguing that you may not have a propensity I'm not, do you know there's a lot of addiction in my family? Tremendous amount of alcoholism in my family. All over my family and Cindy's family. Tremendous amount of substance addiction. I could use that. If I chose to drink or if I chose to do whatever, I could use that. And say, but, but that's just my family. But I make a choice. Just like people with attraction or other kinds of desire. Remember, desire has to conceive to bring forth sin. 
So you could make that argument, well, that's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. Number one, no, God doesn't make sin. God doesn't make us sinful. God did not make Adam and Eve sinful. God made them perfect, but sin entered the world through them. And so then everything is, remember the word? Torque, everything's turned. Everything's twisted, all of us. This may not be your propensity, but that may be. Because the reality is all of us have the sin that so easily besets us. All of us have a thorn or two or ten in the flesh. Don't blame me, blame God. Do you know the Bible teaches that the devil is a deceiver? It says, in fact, in John 8, 44, that he is a liar and the father of lies. So he lies, he's deceiving, he manipulates, and he tempts. Why does he do that to Christians? Because he can't force. Christian, the devil cannot force you. The devil cannot force you to do something. Stand firm, stand fast. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Didn't say play in his playground. It said resist him and he will flee from you. One of the greatest promises in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I have to quote this to myself a lot. I quote this a lot. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You're not the first guy or girl that's felt that way. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tried beyond that which you were able, but in the temptation will make a way of escape. Listen, that you may be able to bear it. God has said, if you're my child, I will give you everything you need because he's already given you everyone you need, Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. I will give you all you need to be an overcomer. It is wonderful and amazing that God sought out Adam and Eve in their sin. And it is equally wonderful and amazing that God sought me and many of you out in our sin. I wasn't running far and fast toward God. I was running away from from God and you were running away from God and when we sin we will be tempted to blame other people and hide from our maker and hide from our responsibility but God still comes looking and you said but how can God forgive me how can God forgive me I've done nothing to earn his forgiveness <laughs> you better believe it you've done nothing to earn his forgiveness the Bible says in Romans 5, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now listen to the rest of it. Much more than now having been justified by his blood through his sacrifice, we shall be saved from wrath through Christ. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved by his life? The Bible is saying Jesus died in our place. We're now justified by his blood. But by his life, we are ultimately saved from all of our sin. Everything we've done, everything we're doing now, everything we will do. And I am glad and I am grateful that God sent his son to pay the penalty and the price for my sin and for your sin. If I had to work off all of my sin, every thought, every word, every action, y'all, I just spent a week driving around L.A. I've had to repent more than once. Those people are crazy. And I think weed is legal out there. It must be. The reality is this. I know 
that if I had to pay the price, I would never live long enough. There wouldn't be enough eternities to pay for what I've done. That's why when Jesus paid it all, it's, it's released such shame and guilt to be able to come to him and to be able to say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for covering all of this garbage in my life. But when we sin, we gotta remember God's the one that comes to pursue us, right? When we sin, we often try to hide from God. I know I have. I know some of you probably have. And when we sin, we often try to shift the blame. How many of you think of a time in your life where you knew you messed up, you knew you were caught, but you tried to maybe diffuse or point the finger? Anybody else in the room or just me pointing to John? Anybody else ever try to diffuse? Yeah. Anybody ever point to your circumstance or your situation? Okay. Well, I was given a gift years ago. It's not a knife. It's actually a pen. It was by a guy in my church. I'd been talking about this past the buck concept, and he made this for me. I'm going to show it to you in this camera right here. Do y'all see what that is? The top of that pen, anybody got an idea of what that is? That's, a, that's an antler. It's the base of a small, it would be a very small deer horn, an antler, a buck. And what he did was then he smoothed it down and he included it in this base, which is actually a 308 spent bullet, but it's nothing to it now but a pen. Can y'all get that again? So this is just a pen, but there's the book. And I pulled this out of my drawer and I, uh, I pulled it out and I began to pray. As I was thinking about this message and closing this mini-series, and I began to pray, Lord, you're my father. And you've given me everything I need in this life. And I can make excuses. I've got excuses just like you. I've got things in my family just like you. I've got things that Satan's tried to use in my life over and over. Even in calling me to ministry, I had no ministers in the family, none. There was no history of ministry. There was none of this. We had the business life, and that's all we knew. And and I had so many excuses running through my mind, but I began to pray when I looked at this. And I began to pray, Lord, I know that you've given me every resource to overcome sin and Satan. And as a husband, and as a father, and as a grandfather, soon to be grandfather again, as a grandpa now, a G-pa, I, Lord, I want to live responsibly. I want to live responsibly as a pastor for Grace Baptist Church. I want to be the man that you have called me to be, and I want to recognize when there's sin in my life, not if, because I know enough to know when. I want to come to you, and I want to be responsible, not to say they or her, not to look at culture, not to say, well, look at what COVID has done, Look at what's happened in America. And look how people are going away from the church. I want to look and I want to say, God, I want the buck to stop here. I want to be responsible. I do not want to point fingers of blame. 
I look at what God is doing in and through the life of this church, and I am blown away. I told friends from all over the country this week, I have never in 23-plus years of ministry seen anything like this. I want to make sure that I'm saying, God, that is all for you and about you, but if it all goes away tomorrow, if it stops tomorrow, I'm still going to choose to be responsible. I'm still going to choose to say the buck stops here. And I want you to join me in recognizing today the high price for your sin. I want you to recognize the guilt and shame and fear that comes with it. And I want you to remember that with your sin, it will likely cost those around you as well. But instead of blaming others for your sin, instead of trying to cover up your sin, I want you to come to God for the only remedy today. If you're a Christian, the Bible says confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So say, God, the buck stops here today. I'm going to confess that. I'm going to be done with that. I'm going to be over that. And I'm not going back to the mud pit to wallow with the pigs because you've given me a new heart, God. And whatever it is for you, if you are not a Christian today, why don't you stop? running? Why don't you get off a of team devil and get onto team Jesus? And why don't you decide today, I am turning away from sin and self. I am trusting Christ as my savior. I will put away childish ways. I will grow up. I will trust my father. I will not blame this culture. I will not blame my family. I will not blame my circumstances. I will lay it on the altar before God and say, God, today, starting right now in my life, the buck stops here, I will choose never again to play the blame game. Y'all stand with me this morning. Now look, this is real simple. If you want to accept personal responsibility, because I am not the only one that's played this game. If you want to say, God, in my life today, I choose to take responsibility. Dads, by the way, fathers, you should be leading the charge because you are commanded by God to be the spiritual head of your home. Doesn't make you better, makes you responsible. You should be leading the charge to take your wife or your significant other or whoever it is by the hand or just coming yourself if you're a young man and saying, I'm going to choose to be a responsible man. The buck stops here. I'm not blaming, I'm not pointing fingers. I realize we all have different circumstances. I realize we all have different things in our life. But the reality is, God is looking at each of us and he's saying, if you're a Christian, I have given you everything you need to be an overcomer today. And so I'm gonna ask you to do what I asked the first service to do, and that's just this. If you're willing to just lay it before the Lord and say, God, I'm laying down any selfishness, any pride, any sin, and I'm just saying, God, here it is. I'm not playing the blame game anymore. The buck stops here. You know, well, what, what will they think? If I go down there, they'll know that I'm a sinner. News flash. We know, we know, we know. You are, I am, he is, we all are. It's okay. Join the club. But we want you to come. And I want you to be responsible. I had a holy moment with God in my office. And I just spent some time with this in front of me. And I just spent some time saying, Lord, I'm not going to pass this on to the next guy. Stops right here with me. In my house, we've made a choice to serve you. In this church, we've made a choice to keep Christ first, to keep the word of God preeminent. And you know what? The culture may not like it. They won't. They may say, well, you're a bunch of narrow-minded. Go ahead and fill in the blank. That's okay. 
if God is pleased, then we're not going to worry about the rest. But when I pray, the altar's going to be open here. If you're willing to just come and lay it before God, you're willing to say, God, I take responsibility. I'm not going to say, that's just how I'm made. I'm not going to say, that's just the way I'm wired. If it's a sin issue, like me yelling at my beautiful wife, that's a sin issue. If it's a sin issue, I'm going to lay it down today. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.